Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to episode 124 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings and 10 years ago I gave up my live streaming career as a radio presenter with one big regret. Never getting to interview my hero, the legendary British musician Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. On this episode of the podcast, I am joined by lead singer and songwriter for the multi-platinum selling band Ocean Color Scene. Just days away from the release of his book, One for the Road, created with his lifelong friend, award-winning author and former podcast guest, Daniel Rachel, I feel like Simon needs no introduction, really. But just in case you've been living on the moon, this band have been huge over the past 30 years. Massive hits like the Riverboat song, The Circle, The Day We Caught the Train, Hundred Mile High City, and so much more. A band with so many links to Paul Weller too, supporting each other on live shows and before on each other's records let's get into it and this one on location with simon fowler hey simon thanks for joining me that's a pleasure mate now when i had your best friend daniel rachel on the podcast i mentioned you and i called you foxy fowler and he burst into hysterics because he was like that's that's what his old man's called that's what his dad's name but that's right, yeah but i i thought foxy fowler was the nickname was what people it's, knew you as it's, right? it's always oscar and steve don't really call me anything they never really call me simon they just call you Foxy. Yeah, and also, I mean, and so did Paul. Paul Wellerside called me Foxy as well. And he used to, when I used to play with Paul, you know, and appear with his band. So I was always introduced as Foxy. Foxy Fowler, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so all of Paul's crowd. I'm basically Aunt Foxy, which is kind of quite a quite nice, really, because I think my dad always wanted to be on the stage. So he ended up as a policeman instead. But uh, I think that I get my uh, lover singing from him. He's got a very, very nice tenor. <laughs> Mine's a fiver to his tenor, I'd say. But where does the love of writing come from? Because obviously, you know, as much as a, a brilliant singer you are, um, the songwriting and a real gift for lyricism is something that you've got. At 
one point you wanted to be or were a journalist. Was that right? Yeah, I was a journalist. Yeah, I wanted to be a football commentator. That's why I became a journalist. Uh, well, I wanted to be John Watson. <laughs> Actually, I've just been reading an article by John Watson about Ronnie Radcliffe's goal in, in uh, the FA Cup in the early seventies. Um, that's what I wanted to be. But within two weeks of working in a newspaper office, I realised I didn't really like being told what to do by short, balding men who were infinitely better at their jobs than I was ever going to be. And uh, clock watching, I just thought, no, this isn't for me. I don't want to be John Watson anymore. I want to be John Lennon. Do you want to mean? I always kind of wanted to be in a band and a singer, but it just seemed to dream too far. Mm. And was it like, were you able to play an instrument from a young age? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got yeah. my first guitar when I was nine. And uh, I always used to entertain the family at Christmases, you know, coming around the mountain, should we come around the mountain, Red River the Valley, Beatles, Simon and Garfunkel songs. And then I kind of got into Neil Young, and that sort of changed my life, really. Now, we're on the eve of the release of this very special limited edition book, One for the Road, The Lives and Lyrics of Simon Fowler and Ocean Colour Scene. And it's as much about your life as a singer-songwriter and these these songs that have had such an impact on so many of our lives and continue to do so, as it, as it demonstrates your life in this band for, what, over 30 years now, right? It's 30... What's the date? It's 33 years. 33 years in October it was, yeah. We get parole next year. <laughs> <laughs> what, what keeps that spark? What keeps that fire in your belly to want to keep doing this? Um, well, I don't think we can really do, I can't really do much else. Um, it's what we do. It's our life's work, isn't it? I guess, really. Um, which isn't, you know, I'll settle for that one. <laughs> it's not a bad life, is it, to be fair? Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is the Paul Weller Fan Podcast. So we're digging into some of these memories and we'll talk about the, the songs that you've covered in the book and how you selected those. And some of them do relate to Mr. Weller, which will be lovely to dig into. But am I right in thinking you were born on Paul Weller's birthday? Yes. He's exactly seven years older than me. Yeah. And have you <laughs> ever celebrated your birthday together? Uh, I don't know, to be honest. I, I, I can't remember doing so. Probably a good job we haven't really. That would have sounds a bit messy to me. I was also, I mean, in my family though, I was actually born on my grandmother's birthday. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, Paul's 25th of May. And I'm sure that, I mean, this is another weird one. His mother's maiden name is Craddock. Ah, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is weird. <laughs> The stars were aligned. Now, Paul and the Jam are mentioned quite a bit in the book, I gather. Um, I mean, Weller's music, before you met him, before you were mates and all that, it meant a lot to you as well, did it? Or, or was it just Steve who was really into the Jam? Were you a fan as well? It meant everything to Steve. I liked the Jam, but I always thought that they were probably... Uh, I mean, at my school, I seem to remember that by the time we were sort of fourth and fifth year, there was the Jam, there was Blondie, well, Debbie Harry, mainly, really for obvious reasons, popular with the fourth form boys, probably the police, and then the two-tone stuff. And then there was the people who ended up in the computer room, the one computer room, the Dungeons and Dragons fans, who were all into heavy rock. Spots, greasy hair, and no girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> it was the one computer room, isn't that hilarious thought now? And it was really early on in the you know, this lifespan of the band that you met, Paul. So it was like 89, the you know, really early days that you met up with Mr. Weller for the first time. Is that right? And he was a fan of Sway. That first... Sway yeah. God, it must have... It was 89, yeah. Crikey, I was going to say it's 93. No, it was, it was 89. We recorded uh, the first album initially down at Solid Bond um, with Jimmy Miller. Brendan was there. Brendan and Max were there at the time, who became our, you know, the star guy. I'm sure they were there. Yes, I'm sure that they were there because Brendan was doing, at the same time I was working with Paul, he was working on the uh, Disciples' Roads to Freedom. Because that front cover is in Hyde Park, which is just directly in front of Solid Bond. So Brendan was, was working on that. And yeah, we all became a sort of a gang and Steve and Paul became very close and Steve joined Paul's band in 93. 
Played with Paul for 30 years. I know, that's mad. It's absolutely it? ridiculous. <laughs> well, I'd love to understand a bit about this because as we get through this story, because obviously there's a point where he's doing, he's double shifting. Part of Ocean Colour Scenes in your band, but then you're having to share him and Damon actually at that, that point right, yeah. with Paul. Was there a bit where you were kind of like, hold on, these are my guys? No, no, it wasn't. Paul always used to imagine that I had that opinion of him. But in all honesty, we were chuffed. We were flattered. And also, we thought it couldn't do anything but good for us. You know, we were sort of like some of that magic was uh, just falling on our shoulders as well. It wasn't just dandruff. Yeah, <laughs> falling our magic like dandruff it was. <laughs> so, you know, it was sort of a bit, a bit of reflected glory, you know, and I, I, I didn't see anything wrong with that. I mean, we were part, we were all part of the same gang. And we introduced Paul to Noel. Uh, so there was Paul, us, the Gallagher's, and it, that was verse, the verses, the Pop lot. The first time I saw you was in 1992, so my and it was my first Paul Weller gig. So I discovered Mr. Weller through the solo career. I went to Paul Art Center, and it was around the time your first LP would have been out, Ocean Color Scene, that first album. You guys were supporting Paul, so I got double whammy. I got Ocean Color Scene, then Weller as my first, and it's my first proper gig of just me and my mates. You know, right. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Loved it. Yeah. And then it was, it was so interesting then to follow Paul because there were so many connections with you throughout that journey and your band throughout that journey as well. And um, I wanted to talk about Wildwood because this was recorded down at the Manor in Oxford, this beautiful residential studio, May, April, May, 1993. And people who have been on the podcast, people like Jacko Peak, Max Beasley, Helen Turner, Dr. Robert, all these amazing characters, Steve Helen White and so Turner. on. Goodness gracious, we had to name for the past. Helen was far more refined than everybody else, wasn't she? It was really extraordinary extraordinary that she was in Paul's band. I think everyone thought of her, she was a bit like a school teacher. I think everyone was slightly frightened of her. <laughs> <laughs> Helen and Yolanda as well. They probably kept you in check, you lot, because it sounds like you were just partying all the time, right? Uh, that's pretty much true, yeah. Paul actually had to pick me up off the floor, basically, when I, he said, are you doing a weaver? Because I, I was going to do the, the weaver with you, the backing vocals. Well, it was about one o'clock in the morning, and there was him. So I started whimpering away, and suddenly this great sort of bleeding Curtis Mayfield voice comes in at the side of me and it's Paul I'm thinking what the hell am I doing on this <laughs> <laughs> but a really happy positive time clearly though. yeah it was hung up on that album it was on the reissue so when they reissued Wildwood because well, yeah. I was in the video on that one that was another party day that was because that was recorded at the manor the, the hung up video that was the, uh, the that evening I met Noel for the first time at a hotel in Oxford. He said, oh, we're coming down, we're playing at a place called the Jug of Ale in Mosley. He said, oh, blimey, that's our HQ. We'll come along and see. And they were supporting a band called Whiteout. They were doing one of those, well, the ones they support one night and then they change over the following night. And that's how I got to know that lot. And I remember meeting Liam there and I'd never met anyone like him in my life and I still haven't. Am I right in thinking you introduced Noel to Paul? Yeah, yeah, pretty much so, yeah. And then, um, you see, within within a few weeks, they'd become like tight pals. And uh, so Noel had suddenly exchanged his size six trainers for size six loafers, which much to Liam's chagrin. So Liam used to call him, hey, well, a fella. And the irony was, of course, is that years later, it would be Liam opening the clothes company called Pretty Green. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, a fella. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, brilliant. Well, look, we'll dig into some more of those memories in a sec but let's talk about the book because you created with you know i mentioned your best mate daniel rachel and he talks about the time when you were flatmates so it was you yeah. him and, and steve in birmingham right that's right yeah for, for ages yeah daniel had got a band as well called rachel's basement so he was trying to get off the ground uh, so daniel was there at the, at the off really and sort of watched it all happen but i've known that i've known daniel since he was five our parents lived uh, two or three doors from each other on the warwick road in alton my dad used to take their family
family to school in in, in the car, and uh, you know, used to mend their bicycle punctures, and uh, yeah, they, we grew up like that. I'm, I'm four years older than that. Dan also was the guy who introduced me to Damon. Damon actually was at um, what's he called junior school with Steve, and then he was at Tudor Grange with which is the school I went to with Damon Minchella and with Robert Hayes. And Robert is my partner who I've been with for longer than the band. I've, I've been with Rob for longer than I've been with the band. And so without Daniel, I wouldn't have been in an ocean killer scene and I wouldn't have met Robert. So I'd have probably been happily married with five children editing <laughs> match of the day. So Daniel <laughs> ruined my life. <laughs> I would imagine. I mean, he's a hugely successful author and he's written some amazing books over the past few years. And yeah, he's but, doing well, isn't he? He's oh, doing well, he stopped trying to be a pop star and, and became a writer. And he's, he's done a real nice niche himself. His books are really beautifully done. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. But I would imagine he's been on at you for a while about doing a book with you, isn't he? No, no, no he, he wasn't. It was, it was my idea, really. We were initially thinking about possibly reissuing a, a lyric book that we did to about 10, 10 or so years ago. And that just suddenly struck me. And I think, I guess that the catalyst was, was getting Macca's book. And we basically, we've, we've, we've done it in a similar format, which is where you take a song and you hang that chapter on that song. And then from discussing the genesis of the song, along come the stories, especially when we used to end up, end up down here. I'm at my local at the moment. And Daniel and I used to do two or three hours in my house in the morning. Then we'd have lunch and then we'd come down here to the pub and that's probably when I told the better stories <laughs> you know what I mean uh, but yeah so so Macca, the Macca book the other one that I uh, I that worked for me was Craig Brown's book called 1234 oh, yeah. about the Beatles and again what it does it puts into I think it's 99 chapters like each chapter is like three or four pages long so the way that I did it was read a chapter a morning and then I'd have stories to bore all of my pub friends with and then the following day I'd have another one to bore them with uh, <laughs> and he also did the same thing uh, called Darling Mum uh, about Princess Margaret. So again, it was fragments and uh, it builds up. It's a really nice way of reading a book because you can go in and out of it. And uh, so that that's what I've, the format struck me as. And I couldn't, I couldn't have done it with anybody else really because Daniel and I almost speak in shorthand you know, to each other. And so much of the books that he writes kind of comes through those conversations. It's a really lovely way of doing it. You, know, yeah. you get those kind of well, honest I think, I think the book is, is also, I mean, it's about my band and my lyrics and me, and but it's also very much about me and the members of the band, but also me and Daniel. And I hope that that, that comes over, that it sort of started to take on that a life of its own in a way, that we realised that what we were doing was really writing a book about a bromance, you know. About, I was going to say, it sounds about, like a love story. A love, yeah. a love story in a, in a way, yeah. Yeah, and, and that sort of, it just took on its own momentum, that did. But let's face it, no one really wants to be, be analysing verse three, line four, who they are men of such opinion. <laughs> I was about to ask you about that one, don't <laughs> When you look back at all this work, though... Um, do you know you look uh, like Rory Bremner? Do I? Do I? Yeah, you do, yeah. <laughs> when he's doing an impression of Boris Johnson, or... <laughs> it's the hair. <laughs> it is, it's the hair. Yeah. Yeah. When you look back at these lyrics and and the work that you've created there, did you have to kind of re-listen to the songs? or Because some of them you're not performing live, probably you haven't performed live for Quite a while. No, Daniel, Daniel chose them. Oh, okay. He chose all of them. And he came as a fait accompli, really. And I just said, well, listen, whatever you've chosen, I'll go along with it. Because let's face it, we could have spent hours. It, I mean, it's hard enough to do a bleeding set list. Yeah. Alone 69 songs. I don't know why it was 69, but I don't know if there's some sort of... <laughs> there, Daniel. So the comedy element. I if it is, yeah. Daniel wouldn't understand it, honestly. He is very wet behind the ears. And he is the worst drinker, probably in Britain. <laughs> because I'm the best. <laughs> 
So when you look at these lyrics and the, um, I mean, let's talk about you as a lyricist. How do you go about it? Do you have a kind of set formula where your guitar and pads? Yeah, I just sit with a, because I always write, well, I can only play the acoustic guitar, but with an old fashioned tape player, you know, a cassette player, the type you get for Christmas in 1972. We got one of them. We share, it was a shared Christmas present, Nick and I, my older brother. And we, we you know, used to do impress. I, well, I used to do impressions of Frank Spencer into it and, you know, things like that. He was my hero <laughs> before John Mott's. <laughs> so that's how I still write. It's very difficult, actually, to get a hold of cassettes. So you still use the cassette? Although they're coming back, I saw, like, things yeah, are being released. I, I, I always have them. Because, ah. See, it's so quick. It's so instant. And I basically, I mumble, half sing, half some words, a bit of mumbling. And then I listen back to that. And, uh, you know, you get sort of, like, bits here, then at number zero... Three, three, there's a bit that could be that part. And eventually you put it together. And then I take really the rhythm of the lyrics come from my mumblings. So that becomes, is it called the syntax? Is based on, my lyrics are based around the rhythm that I've created with my mumblings, really. Not not all all times. Sometimes lyrics come like from outer space, but uh, that's, that's the way that I do it. So I've got the bare bones of it with the melody and some of them come easier than others some of them there's songs that are like really hard work to get there but it was worth those it are, yeah. those, are, those are usually the least successful songs The Circle for instance came to me incredibly quickly almost as it is and then you think well how did I do that and I thought I don't know you just do it that's how you do it you'd sit down and you do it and it either comes or it doesn't right. if I hadn't have sat down nothing would have come yes I suppose, yeah it's, it's the thing of actually Pen to paper getting and doing it, isn't it? You know, without that, you're not going to get anywhere. No. Um, and that was the song Paul covered actually on the Gary Crowley GLR show, wasn't he? And he was on that. He's on that song, Gary's show. Yeah, it was Gary Crowley's show. Really, really proud. I was really proud of that. Like stupidly proud, but no, genuinely, properly proud. Paul Weller's singing one of my songs. This is madness. There was a time actually I wanted to ask you about, which was the recording of the Help album. This was the album that Paul did for War Child, and there was a track they did which was. Come together. Come together. Thank you. And it was actually Abbey Road, right? The recording at Abbey Road. And yeah, it was um, Studio Two, yeah. And you were there. So Weller's there, obviously. Noel Gallagher, Craddock, Steve White, Carleen Anderson. I think Paolo Hewitt, Paul's best mate at the time, had actually faxed Paul McCartney to ask if he'd do it. Or like, Fax Paul, let, Paul Weller's letter to ask if he'd come along. He comes along. Um, I think Johnny Depp's there, Kate Moss, if you watch Johnny the video. Depp was Kate Moss. I had a fascinating conversation with Johnny Depp. I explained to him the nature of stardom. I was off my face at the time, actually. Um, <laughs> Paul McCartney actually came up and said, look after yourself, should man. Look after yourself, young man. <laughs> but yeah, but Johnny Depp was, he, he was basically, he was a bit dressed as a tramp. He's wearing a pair of jeans like Joe Orton. And in the turnips of his jeans was dozens of cigarette butts, which he was showing to Kate Moss, who looked on admiringly. <laughs> <laughs> he was saving his own or he was picking well, up other I don't people? Know, a couple of weeks later, he'd released an album. It was like old blues songs and one of them was something like Save Your Cigarette Butts. I thought, you big kid. <laughs> There's I me mean, explaining the nature of stardom to Johnny Depp. Marvellous. <laughs> I mean, there must be a period of that time where you're kind of properly massive in terms of the band Ocean kind of thing. We'll, I mean, I'd love to talk about Chris Evans as well because there's a radio geek, that kind of TFI Friday Radio 1 thing where it really properly takes off. But, I mean, this this explosion of Britpop and there's an, a discussion of whether Ocean Colour scene were on the fringes and so was Paul maybe, which is, I think, probably a good thing. But it was huge, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, it was. And it was exciting. I mean, I think the press loved it. The press 
just love the fact that they got their own Beatles and Stones. I think that the two bands kind of played off that as well. Then it did nobody any harm. The lurid headlines, does it? As long as I spell your name right. We always thought that we were pretty much on the on the periphery of it because I, I mean, I was genuinely thought of us as more of a folk rock band, you know, in all honesty. But you mentioned Evans, and it was Chris without a shadow of a doubt. Knowing Paul and knowing the Gallagher's was great fun, and it would have probably given us a we could have maybe charted for the album but we went in at number two and stayed there for six months and that was almost single-handedly down to Chris and I became great mates with Chris and still am and uh, yeah he, without him it wouldn't have happened it's as simple as that he was massive as a broadcaster so everything he touched whether it was toothbrush the big breakfast you think he touched turn to ginger <laughs> I think that was it as well because I had ginger hair and glasses at the time too. Oh, really? So yeah. you see, I told you, Rory, remember you're doing Chris Evans impression. Yeah, but I used to listen on GLR and tape it every week back in the day, and, I, and yeah. that was before I knew it was ginger. Actually, thinking about it, it was great fun, Chris. Real good fun. But you were that very first episode of CFI, but I think actually you were the pilot as well. We, did, we did the pilot, yeah, and that's when he came up to us and said, "Would you mind if we used Riverboat as the walk-on for the guests?" No, go ahead. <laughs> I asked him actually if he'd, uh, if he'd give it all up and come on the road with us because he was, uh, he was, as you would like this, he was a, he was quite a hard taskmaster. Um, but I, I mean, looking back at it, he, everything was on his shoulders, wasn't it, really? It was his reputation. But he could be quite explosive in the studio. So I said, I like the way that you can get everyone to do what you want. Do you want to come on, be our road manager? <laughs> I had a drink with him afterwards and we just hit it off. And I used to go, I mean, I used to live near Richmond and I used to, um, I used to go down to TFI when we weren't on it, you know, to go and hang out with him and Danny Baker, who was an extraordinary guy, extraordinary bloke. God, talk about Chris holding an, an audience. You should be with Danny Baker. He, he's incredible guy. And that was great fun. You didn't ever get ropes into the naked parade at the end of TFI, did you? No, no, I didn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> the first gig for me after lockdown, we've obviously been through this horrendous period where you know musicians couldn't gig and we couldn't go out and all that. And my first like little gig after lockdown was, I think it was last year, it was the, the launch of Daniel's Oasis Nebworth book. Yeah. With Jill Fermanovsky. That's and a beautiful book, isn't it? It's isn't one it? of those books you don't really want to touch. I think yours is going to be know, nice as well. It's so. too beautiful, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. It's all too beautiful, as someone once sang. Yeah, and it was this little book launch, and there was you and Oscar Harrison, and you do these little, these semi-acoustic gigs, just the two of you. Yeah, yeah, we've been doing it for about twenty years. Yeah, and it was honestly, it was just brilliant because I don't know whether it was a mixture of things. I think it was that release that we were allowed back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. 
back out again. We were experiencing live music and God, how much we missed that during that period. But it was also these songs and they hit me and I kind of had that realization that it was kind of like 25 years since I'd first seen them and seen them live and all that. But it was such a very special evening that. But you must get a real buzz out of performing those songs, just you and Oscar, because it's a completely yeah, well, different I mean, environment. They're closer to how I how they were written because they're, they're, they're as I wrote them. But it was a strange night that was because I was going to go out and say something about Brian Travers had died the, the day before. He was a friend of ours. And uh, I was going to go and mention that. And then 10 minutes before we go in on stage, someone comes in and says, Charlie, what's has died? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And it absolutely knocked me for six. I didn't, I, 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 bloody hell, it just didn't seem right. Didn't seem right. How can Charlie Watts be dead? He's in the Rolling Stones, you know? And uh, so that was a bit weird, that was, really. But uh, it was a good night. And uh, Dan and I are going to go and do a few of those sorts of things ourselves. It's, yeah, there's one on the 8th of December. Daniel and Daniel's working out where we're going to do it. It'll surface somewhere yeah. where it's going to be. Well, let's talk about some of these memorable gigs as well, because performing live still is a real buzz, I can tell that from watching you perform. That's the reaction that you get from the crowd is, you know, on these proper anthems. And I think that comes back to that kind of folk rock thing. Yeah, these songs are songs that just live through people and mean so much to people. You must get a buzz out of performing on those big stages as well as the the kind of smaller acoustic gigs, right? Yeah, yeah, I do. I I mean, I really like sort of around about three and a half thousand, that sort of capacity, something like, uh, I never know the names of these places now because they're all called the Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I still call it the Hammersmith Odeon. (laughs) Is it not? That's what I would call it. (laughs) That's the type of place I like. There's, There's a similar kind of place up in Manchester. We played a few years just just before the lockdown. We played up at uh, a hydro up in Glasgow, so it's fourteen thousand. I think that's too big. What was the festival? Wasn't it a festival in Spain? Was it Zaragoza? Wasn't it? Was it like five hundred thousand people? It was, it was something like quarter of a million, but it didn't seem like that because it was basically along an area which I don't know, maybe a mile, two miles long, and along every sort of so five hundred yards or whatever, they'd have a screen and a sound system. No, but I mean, obviously, the biggest gig that we played where you can actually see the audience as an audience was uh, Nebworth with Oasis that was only 125 (laughs) (laughs) only 125,000 people Um, and I'm alright in thinking the first time that you headlined the Royal Albert Hall was uh, Noel and Liam and Paul Weller were there and they were supporting us our support acts were Paul Weller the Gallagher's I think P.P. Arnold was there Mick Tolbert was there all of my friends were there Yeah, it was extraordinary, extraordinary nights. I'll always remember that gig. I want to talk about some of the songs, and actually the first two I'm going to pick aren't actually in the book. Um, And I don't know why Daniel, well, I know why Daniel didn't pick one of them, because the first one I'm going to talk about has a Paul Weller connection, but you didn't write the lyrics. On the album On the Ley Line, Paul Weller wrote you a song for dancers only. Yeah. How did that come about? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to ask Steve, I guess. I don't think he wrote this, that song for us, did he? I, I, I don't know. I just thought that it was... A... He hadn't released it anywhere else, no, I don't he think. Hadn't. I don't know. Um, maybe he just rejected it. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't even make a B-side. Right, I'll give it to Foxy. Yeah, I'll give it to Foxy. You can fuck it up. <laughs> Yeah, I, d- I don't really know much about that song, to be honest. So, um, I think it ended up developing into a, so- a song, into Old Town, off 22 Dreams with Graham Coxon, eventually. And there was another yeah. song, actually. So the other one I wanted to ask you about was from the album Saturday. And I, I read somewhere that this is a song dedicated to John Weller, to Paul's dad. That's called Harry Kidnap. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's essentially about his friendship with Steve's dad and Kenny Wheeler, who was Paul's uh, right-hand man for God knows how many years. And uh, they were like the three, well, they thought they were like the three musketeers with bus passes. <laughs> and, and a deck of cards, yeah. And a deck of cards. Oh, that was the essential, yeah. Yeah, the essential deck of cards. Mm. It's also, I mean, there's obviously references Harry Redknapp, doesn't it? Well, 
Harry Redknapp reminds me a bit of John, a bit of a geezer. Yeah. And John, if there was a description of the word geezer, John Weller's photograph at the side of it in the dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> and also, let's be honest, John Weller would have been equally brilliant in the jungle as Harry Redknapp was on Anderson Everton. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Can you imagine? You imagine that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but John was really supportive of you and the band and you guys as well, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, they were. Well, it really did become like a family, yeah? Yeah. Well, the thing is, there was, I mean, there was that strange, again, that strange synergy where Paul's dad managed him, Steve's dad managed him, and Chris Craddock looked up very much to John um, as his sort of mentor, I guess. I think Chris would be quite proud to say that himself. Yeah, that's lovely. Paul Weller's always talking about what's next and, and the future and stuff. It's been a while since we've had an Ocean Colour Scene album, I think 2013, but I read the other day, see, you've signed up with Alan McGee, bless him, who's been on the podcast. Love Alan, amazing. And there will be new material. So you're, so you're constantly writing still, are you? No, I'm not. Ah. No, no, I haven't written for a while. Um, but this is the plan. I've actually, I've got, I've got, um, I've got quite a few lyrics, uh, but uh, no, I haven't written for my manager here is shouting at me seven years. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? What is it? Just like the it's not there. You're like you're not passionate about it to get a notebook out. Or yeah, I guess I guess that, that that must be an element. Yeah. I mean, we used to live basically for for the band, and uh, now I don't live for the band. I yeah. live for my life in the countryside with Robert uh, and my dog Cooper. Yes, and uh, and the pub. That's and the news and newspapers. That, that's that's my happiest is to be with those creatures with the times and a pint of Pirani. And uh, that makes me very happy. But no, it is about time that we did it because I think otherwise we're going to become status quo, aren't we? We're going to become a heritage circuit. And also the the, 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 the fancies of some, something else apart from the ones that we've always done. I mean, there's certain songs we're not going to be allowed out of the hall without playing, aren't there? It would be ludicrous not to. Because I'm strongly of the opinion that albums of fans and gigs of fans, you know, because without the fans, there'd be no wanting doing a gig. Do you feel that pressure of that legacy in the same way as maybe Paul did with the jam when he was moving through his career? Well, no, I mean, I think Paul was very ruthless and a lot of people didn't appreciate it. When he started off in particular and was not playing Going Underground or Down in the Tube Station. What? Down the Tube Station is one of the greatest songs ever written and he's not playing it live. Disgraceful. <laughs> or English Rose or Butterfly Collect, you know, those things that, that no, no, I'm going to play my own new songs. And I think that was very brave of him. And he, he won through, and he won through particularly around about the time of Wildwood and Stanley Road, which became huge. Um, oh, massive, massive. Uh, under their own steam. And then suddenly they became, they became the classics. He's carried on doing it. He's always now, after a while, he did start playing obviously the old songs, but he still is very stubbornly, what's the word I'm looking for? Contemporary. And it's funny, isn't it? Because now it's almost a similar thing whereby people would crucify him if Broken Stones isn't in the set list or Into Tomorrow's in the, yeah. in the set list, you know, <laughs> as much as Tube Station and all yeah. that. My question was, do you feel that pressure of the, of what's been before? Because I mean, the quality of these songs, my God, like songs like Better Day, The Day We Caught the Train, July, 100 Mile High City, Huckleberry Grove, Profit and Peace, for goodness sake, Robin Hood, Traveller's Tune. I mean, goodness me. I know that whatever I come up with has got to be, it's got to be good. Yeah, that bar's high, right? Yeah, it is. And I've got to see if I can do that. <laughs> is that quite daunting? Is that like approaching it and starting to go, shit, can I do that still? Well, it always is. But then when you sit down and halfway through the song, you realise, well, I've always been able to do this and I can still ride a bicycle. 
when you were talking to Daniel and, and creating this book, were there songs that you're really proud of? Like, if you, is there a perfect song that you've written from your point? I think The Circle is probably uh, yeah. not far off that for me. Some of the lyrics, uh, I mean, Fleeting Mind has got very interesting lyrics. Men of Such Opinion has got interesting lyrics. It's some look trite on paper, um, but then they're not meant to be poems. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what a lot of people said when Dylan won the, the Nobel Prize, not the Nobel Prize, that sometimes it, 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 they don't look like poetry or literature on the page. Um, some of them do, um, but I don't think they're meant to. The, the, the two things are in are indivisible, really. The lyrics from the performance, I think. You'd never write down "Why don't we do it in the road" <laughs> as a poem, would you? But when you have Macca singing it, it's one of the greatest poems in the English language, in my book. Well, when we mentioned "Comes Together" earlier on, it's like I mean, utter nonsense, right? But actually, yeah, as yeah. a song, but as a lyricist, and because there's so many like handwritten um, lyrics in this book as well, which is beautiful. To you, as a lyricist, I mean, it sounds daft, but there's a lot of value in the words that you, you know, you put into them. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but, you know, you, there's care and attention from your point of view yeah. about what you say, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of good. I'm good with words. I'm good with words. I'm horrendous with numbers. I did just chance I think someone's... Hey, Rob, I'll, listen, I'll phone you back in a bit. I'm just doing a podcast. Whatever that is. <laughs> okay. All right, that's okay. Bye. I think I'm numerically almost dyslexic, much to the chagrin of my manager who's sitting opposite me. And you're not interested in like, technology infuri- or any of that? No, 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 no. no. She's infuriated it with me most of the time because I simply do not understand money or computers, which is why Debbie's here and we're using her computer. She said she's got to leave in about 10 minutes. Oh, right. I better carry on. <laughs> right. Um, no, I, I couldn't do this. I don't miss it. You know, that's, I said that's why I, I write on a... <laughs> a Sony cassette player. Oh, yeah, but how much nicer was our lives without social media and all that nonsense and email? Well, I, I don't Do remember. Social media, you I've, never, I've never ever been. <laughs> I, I know how to Google. I know how to Google Neil Young. And that, that's all I need to know. And the odd word that I don't understand in the Times. <laughs> Which is perspicacious <laughs> this morning, used on a desert island disc, and I've got to look it up. What did it mean? I don't know. Lauren oh. Laverne used it, perspicacious, but I was going to look it up and try to see, because my pal who I came in with, he's he's been sitting over, and I was going to try to slip it in as many times as I could into this interview, but I'm not quite... <laughs> You'd have seen me frantically typing, Ooh, trying to work out what it was. Most, <laughs> I'd be most perspicacious to do so. <laughs> <laughs> now, we should say, in terms of the book, there are lots of editions that are available, one of which includes this seven-inch single of a couple of unreleased songs yeah. as well. Yeah. So these yeah. were recorded, like, in the 80s, for goodness sake. These were recorded in about 1985. I recorded them for Daniel and for his mother, who uh, we were quite close with, and so was Robert. And he, he kept them all, all this time, and uh, he played me them. And um, it's a lesson, really, in sometimes how not to sing, because my voice goes from David Bowie to uh, Lou Reed to Bob Dylan to Neil Young, all in the space of one line. <laughs> it's definitely me trying to find my voice. That's what it's all about, though, right? Well, that's right, because you do it, because I, I started doing it because I loved what they did. You know, I said this to someone the other day when I saw one of these. I said, um, you wouldn't say that when Sebastian Coe set the world record in the 800 metres, it wasn't like he was ripping off Roger Bannister, was he? <laughs> <laughs> See what I mean? He did it because, probably because he admired Roger Bannister, perhaps. Inspired by it. And found that he was good at running. That's a great analogy. And one of these, so there's the American way of life and I, and I remember actually Daniel mentioned I on the podcast before, because yeah. that turned into something else, right? Yeah, well, it's, it is. It doesn't turn into, it's got an extra verse to the one that we recorded, but it's Fox's Folk Face. 
Right, there we go. We go back full circle, back to Foxy again. I wrote that song when I was 16. That was probably one of the first songs that I wrote which would stand up. I started writing when I was about 13, but they were all about drugs, busts and sex, of which I, neither have I had any experience whatsoever. I don't think it counts on your own, does it? <laughs> Just when you're 13. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, was the, that was the only option in my case, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, right, a couple of questions before you go. I'll leave Debbie to get a laptop back there's this wonderful story i heard about you and mr weller in a hotel room and steve craddock came oh, in jesus christ yes tell me about this like this in is one nuts. Where steve nearly jumped out the window yeah mm. you'll have to read it in the book oh it's in the book yeah it is yeah yeah well he was uh, we were all um we were all very um happy that evening and uh steve was bouncing up and down on the bed i think it was my room actually and just leapt and fortunately the window instead of opening out I don't know if they all do this for this very reason. I just opened in. So he smacked his head on there, crashed down onto, knocked all, smashed all the glasses, and claret all over the shop. And the following morning, we sort of had a bit of a, uh, a triumvirate and thought, uh, I think we'd better calm down. You know? <laughs> and which song does that relate to in the book, then? I can't remember, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think Daniel mentioned to me about the fact that you used to play Steve Craddock songs in um, in the style of the jam. I did with one song, yeah, which t- which I thought was the circle, but Steve and Oscar have both saw me independently that it's not the circle. It was a song called Beautiful Losers, which I can't imagine doing that in the start. I think I was sort of like, because if you did that, then I know that Steve would probably like it, and then we'd have something to do that day. <laughs> just as simple as, as sort of inauspicious as that really it was that perspicaciousness that I really thought <laughs> about the situation well I would agree if I knew what that meant <laughs> so would I <laughs> final Paul Weller thing I want to ask you about the roundhouse so this was was last year last Christmas right nearly yeah. a year ago Christ um, and Mr Weller joined you on stage for a couple of tunes it's nearly a year ago isn't it isn't that terrifying where's that time gone oh god <laughs> Oh my goodness me. That's ludicrous, isn't it? Yeah. Right, I'm not having that. I'm not having <laughs> I'm not having the perspicaciousness of it. <laughs> How do you get him up there? I mean, presumably it doesn't take an awful lot to twist his arm, know, right? I didn't know he was coming, to be honest. Um, um, if you probably, all right, uh, Steve, sure, come out and play. Probably something like that, I should imagine. <laughs> yeah. Daniel was most impressed because he was surprised because Paul's wearing monkey boots. I read something about Paul the other day. He's got some new deal with a clothing outlet. Yeah, Sunspell, and, yeah. And he was talking about now that when he goes on stage, he really likes to go on wearing monkey boots because it makes him feel safe. He gets a bit of bounce. I read the same thing. He gets a bit of bounce in Oh, well, I think well. that's seriously what he was referring to. Yeah, yeah. Not as much bounce as a jam shoe, obviously, but, you know. No. <laughs> when we first started playing, he used to actually wear stilettos. Not a lot of people know that. He used to pop over for dinner when you were all sharing the flat together, didn't he? I'd be, I think he was up a few times, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Alison Moyer came once as well. You recorded on her... Albums. Well, uh, Steve played with us before he played with Paul. He used to go up with Alison's manager, who was a girl called Debbie Rawlins, and uh, we were very close with Alison. She was great. Fun. Yeah, she is the biggest laugh I've ever met. Wonderful, wonderful bird. And another one who we don't have enough material from her. She was from my neck of the woods, Basildon, and yeah, she's fabulous, absolutely fabulous. Yeah, she was at school with like Depeche Mode and Vince Clark. Extraordinary yeah. class. <laughs> imagine that classroom. Yeah, imagine music class. We brilliant. 
Hey, look, I have two final questions for you before you go, my friend. This has been so lovely. Thank you so much. And the very best in luck with the book. I can't wait to, to get it in my hands. And it's, it's going to be one of those beautiful coffee books that I, I want to, I want to read, but I'll have to have like snooker referees gloves to open it. It'll be so precious, you know, I, I can't wait. Very best of luck with it. I have two final questions for you, right? It's a Paul Weller fan podcast. So you're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. It can be the jam, the style council or solo. What would you pick? Well, I'm going to go for, um, blimey, um, a real, the butterfly. I'm, I'm going to go for going down at the tube station. And is that because of the lyrics as much as the sound of that song? The lyrics are amazing, but it just the, the structure of the song, it, it's a truly immense and considering, I should expect he was probably about 18 when he wrote that, which I know shouldn't matter because Stevie Wonder did uptight when he was 15, but it does matter. It does matter that he was 18 because he was that good you know, and is that good. Mm. And final question. So the purpose of this podcast is to meet amazing people like yourself and hear their, their careers and, and the links with Weller and all that, but it's for me to get the interview with Paul Weller that I never managed during my radio career. So I, like Chris Evans, was a radio presenter, obviously not as <laughs> anywhere nearly as successful, sadly, but I gave up presenting with that one regret. I never got to interview Mr. Weller. Now, you must have some amazing stories about Paul, lots that have to stay on the road. You know, when you're on the road, those stories stay Absolutely. with you and all that, right? And I've not dug into any of those, but if I get to interview with Paul Weller, what should I ask him? Is there anything I should bring up? Anything you think he'd appreciate? Anything I should talk about? I would be presumptuous or perspicacious enough to know. <laughs> I mean, I don't see Paul on a, on a very regular basis anymore because, I, you know, he's down in um, in Maida Vales. And you think, Paul, yeah. and I'm, I'm up near Stratford-upon-Avon. Steve sees him all the time, you know, I mean, they're sort of best mates, really, I guess. To be honest, Paul always says his motivation has, has always been music and clothes and the, that sort of style. But I think that, in honesty, he's probably his motivation is his, uh, his family. And I think that that's probably what made him finally grow up. Is that similar for you with your partner? Like the inspiration comes from like wanting to write something that, that your partner feels proud of? No, I don't think so. When I sit down, I, I haven't, I don't think, oh, I'm going to write about like Ukraine or just sort of write and uh, hopefully something makes sense. Well, somewhere there's a pile of cassettes with all these mumblings on that at some point will be a, a wonderful deluxe box set in the same way we just had that massive revolver yeah, box yeah. set. From the yeah. <laughs> hey man, this has been so lovely. Thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed speaking to you. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, hopefully we'll meet up one day. Well, yeah, that would be lovely, man. Um, thank you so much, honestly. Thank you so much for joining me and all the best. Cheers. And yourself. Goodbye. Thanks, Simon. Much appreciated. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> I'll flat him. There you are, Simon Fowler. I told you we'd be good, right? Simon Fowler, Foxy Fowler on the podcast. And what a lovely, lovely chap. Now, you'll find more information, including links to order the book as well, on my website. Just check out the show notes for this podcast, paulwellerfanpodcast.com. And there's also a playlist of music that I've created featuring Simon on there too, with a few little surprises that you might not know about. So do check it out, paulwellerfanpodcast.com. And whilst you're there, you can show your support by heading into my store. You'll find our first official podcast mug as well as sweatshirts for the winter all of our exclusive merchandise in there and you can buy a virtual coffee as well and by doing that you'll get a shout out on the podcast so on the roll call this week hello to simon simon fugsy fergie who says great job dan keep on keeping on can't be much longer till you get the main man (laughs) you'd have thought right (laughs) piece of cook hello to you Alex McLaughlin says, keep on keeping on, Dan. Cheers, friend. Martin Alaric, hello to you, sir. Terry Vine, thank you for your support. Andy Tolcher. Lee O'Gorman says, I look forward to every Tuesday. I've loved everyone. Thanks, Dan. All your dedication and research brings out the very best in all your guests. Keep the faith. 
Well, thank you, Lee. Much appreciated. Hello to Martin Morrow, who says, loving the podcast. Brian G, hello to you. Steve Cooper says, really enjoying the podcast. The research is very impressive and the guests have been brilliant. Thank you, Steve. Hello to Vincenzo Biccarino, who says, just listen to the Edgar Jones episode. I was not aware of him before the podcast, but decided to have a listen to some of his music. All I can say is it is amazing. Wish I discovered loss earlier. Thanks for the introduction, Dan. I'll give it five stars. Well, thank you, Vincenzo. Much appreciated. And that's exactly what I love about this podcast, introducing us all to so many new things, new stories, new artists, new photographers, all of this stuff going on. Hello to Steve Perry. Thank you for your donation. Mike Steer. Cheers, pal. Thanks very much indeed. Kevin Smith, thanks for your virtual coffee as well. And thanks to all of you for your support as well. If you fancy doing it, head to my website, grab a virtual coffee in the store and get a shout out next week. And now on the next episode of the podcast, an honorary counsellor who was a huge part of the Star Council and also a key player in the early days of Paul Weller's solo career as well. Yes, Helen Turner is on the next episode of the podcast. Make sure you follow, you subscribe wherever you get yours, Apple, Spotify. You'll find me on social media as well. Do get in touch on Twitter, at WellerFanPod, or just search on Instagram and Facebook, Paul Weller Fan Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.